filled with teaching, truths and issues that matter. Bernie Diamond's A Different Perspective, part of Night Vision each weeknight. Details at vision.org.au. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Always good to get insights into what's happening on this week's political agenda with the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the ACL, back with us. Hello, Martin. Welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Good to be with you again. Martin, there was a huge story just late last week, and it was an international story, and uh, organisations like ours have been following this along for almost a decade. I think it goes eight or nine years. Uh, the Asia Bibi case, uh, she was languishing in a solitary confinement in a Pakistani prison, and now she's been found innocent of blasphemy. You've been following this along and uh, some developments here. Yeah, Neil, this is actually, I mean, it was a tragic, I mean, if we thought it was a tragic case uh, to start with, um, you know, uh, the tragedy's only been amplified due to the events of the last week or so. Uh, as you said, and many people will know this, she was condemned to death in Pakistan for blasphemy uh, in 2010, just off the fact of someone accusing her randomly while she was picking some berries. And she was the first woman in Pakistan to be condemned to death for blasphemy. She was in solitary confinement ultimately for nearly eight years uh, whilst the appeals process ran through Pakistan's court systems. And at each stage, the conviction was upheld and she was still on death row. But uh, last week, the highest court in Pakistan did an incredibly brave thing, which was to acquit her, to say there was completely insufficient evidence to maintain a conviction of blasphemy. Uh, and she was acquitted. Now, that was enormous. They had actually deployed 300 paramilitary police to protect the judges um, because the blowback from this sort of thing from Islamists in the country is immense. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, the race was on to get Asya Bibi out of the country uh, because uh, vigilantes do kill those who are acquitted of, of, um, of blasphemy uh, in that nation. And, and, and her safety was gravely feared. There was huge unrest on the streets of all the major cities. There was violence, there was torching of vehicles, there was protests, there was calls to kill her uh, and this kind of thing. And we wrote uh, immediately to um, the uh, foreign minister and the minister for home affairs to say we need to get an offer of asylum to Asia Bibi. I believe France and Spain did uh, very quickly do that. We haven't heard back yet as to what Australia did in that moment. But, you know, just as we thought, you know, there was an opportunity here uh, and, you know, we were waiting for her to get out of the country. Um, the Pakistani government went and did a deal with the Islamist extremists, which allowed them to lodge an appeal against the decision, um, which is not doable because it was the highest court in the country, but they overrode the rule of law uh, and they, they put um, Asya Bibi on a no-fly list so she couldn't leave the country uh, and she has now been put back into solitary confinement as best as we can tell. And who knows how long she will be there because this appeal has been done, uh, this appeal process has to go through now. And so... It's just been tragic uh, what has happened there because of the mob violence uh, and all the rest of it. Uh, she uh, is still suffering and she's still trapped. Her lawyer has fled the country um, to Europe because his life was at risk uh, and he has said that he needs to stay alive because there's much more work to be done. So this is awful. I mean, I, I've written to, again, <laughs> the Foreign Minister and the Minister of Home Affairs to ask what we did about this. I mean, Australia has sat by for too long on this issue. Um, and I just think that uh, there's a campaign here to, that could be run to uh, influence the government to start to muscle up a little bit because uh, this is now just over, over 
overreaching on the rule of law. Uh, and um, so I have written to them and expect to have meetings. Um, and we'll see where that goes. Of course, when it comes to diplomatic issues like this, it's, it's fiercely complicated. It's never straightforward. Um, but, you know, I think that when in moments like this, as the church, we are driven to prayer um, for Asia, for her lawyer, uh, and for the circumstances in Pakistan, which uh, have been revealed to be quite serious this week. Well, in one sense here, uh, when someone's life, like Asia Bibi, becomes a political football at the same time as the, you know, the courts make a ruling, but uh, she's kept in the confinement because... Uh, there's an appeal, as you say, overriding the rule of law, which has got all sorts of issues. And I'm sure even in Pakistan with their, uh, their heritage of having some level of British influence on their legal mm. system, there's, there's all sorts of things that going on in Pakistan. But there is a sense in which it may be the only safe place for her, Martin, uh, being in confinement, because as you say, mobs on the streets, uh, demanding her death. She may not be safe on the streets of Pakistan, but there's also this further issue. She may not be safe on the streets wherever she may be even granted asylum. Is that the case, do you think? Well, it'll be much harder for them to track her down, I think, if she was to come somewhere like Australia. Um, I, I think that there would be a measure of safety there. I think you're right, Neil. Right now, um, if she was to be out, uh, but on a no-fly list, which she is, um, she'd be in severe trouble, um, and, and, and her life would be in, in immediate, imminent peril. Um, so she is in a safer place than she could be, in that sense, if, if we look for that silver lining. Um, but I think the safest place of all would have been if she was able to flee the country. Uh, and it was like almost as if defeat was snatched from the jaws of victory in that case. But, you know, God knows what he's doing. Um, and, uh, and, and I think this is a prayer situation now as much as it is just a, a lobbying situation from our end to see is there something that can be done in respect of this case since it's become such a high-profile issue. And since it is a clear rule of law issue, um, that's the that's the uh, that's the agenda now. And of course, blasphemy laws, uh, dreadful as they are in so many nations around the world, uh, people drawing the correlation between those blasphemy laws and the sorts of things that we are even uh, tinkering with here in Australia with anti-discrimination laws. Uh, that's still another uh, conversation we can develop on another day. Let's move on to some other issues. Uh, let's talk about Nauru. More than 70 asylum seekers in detention centres on Nauru have been, well, actually have themselves knocked back an offer to resettle in the United States. You've been following this along. Uh, there's a certain sense in which uh, that sounds a little bit unusual, that there might be a knockback for uh, an opportunity to go to the United States. But uh, there's welfare issues here at play. What are your thoughts on those developments, uh, Martin? Well, you know, Neil, it's, I've been grappling with this issue, the Nauru issue of late. Um, you know, ACL always supported a strong border protection policy to prevent people smuggling and drownings at sea and wanted to combine that with a generous refugee intake to make sure that Australia was uh, doing a really good job at its humanitarian obligations and ensuring that we were helping those who were most in need. So we thought that was a really good policy balance to get the humane side but also be wise about uh, border control and that kind of thing and not, not facilitate uh, the people smuggling trade, not see people dying en masse and not go back to the situation we were in uh, where we just had thousands and thousands of arrivals coming in and we just didn't know what to do with them and it was you know, security problems and all sorts of things. Now, my belief now 
in relation to Nauru is that you can't keep people in detention indefinitely with no hope and no future. You just can't do that now. But it's interesting. Pretty much everyone thinks that, including the government. That's not a, a revelation. Um, nobody wants to see these people stuck in limbo forever. That's, that's not the goal. The difficulty is that you want to be compassionate, um, but also you need to be wise. Um, and both of those things are Christian virtues. Uh, both of those things are things we need to bear in our mind when we come to this issue. It's not as simple as we'll give them all a home or keep them all on Nauru. It just isn't. Because if you get the message out there that all these people are coming to Australia, we'll be back to square one tomorrow. Uh, the people smuggling will start again and we will just have to deal with this whole sorry business over the course of years all over again. Uh, and that'll be terrible. That's unwise. That's foolish. Um, and we're not called to be foolish, especially governments, <laughs> especially, you know, Solomon, who was in the business of government, and he, he, was, he was a man of wisdom. Uh, but at the same time, we need to find the best way, the wisest way to offer these people hope. Now, to my mind, uh, if somebody is desperate, if somebody is a refugee, if somebody is on an island that, as the activists have been saying, uh, is a horrible place uh, where there's serious mental health issues, uh, where there's, you know, where they're struggling to live and all the rest of it, and then they are offered a life in a comfortable first world country that's quite similar to the one that they were coming to by boat, um, surely, surely that is an absolute golden opportunity for them. Um, and yet they said no. And, you know, I want to be compassionate, but when you see that, it does make you sceptical. Uh, and I don't think that's wrong. And I think we need to be wise about this situation and say to ourselves, well, hang on, is the government really being cruel when it says you can go to somewhere like the United States? I mean, that's an excellent solution. Uh, that's a good option for anyone. Uh, there's many refugees in camps all over the world uh, who would, you know, just about they would go to any lengths uh, to ensure that they could do that. Um, and so that's the concern in, in this case. Um, so... I do think that the government's being pilloried a little bit when it is offering solutions. It's been depleting the number of people on Nauru for a long time quietly. Those numbers have been dropping, 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 dropping. Uh, I would say, um, if I was a betting man, and I'm not, uh, that within a year the detention centre won't exist on Nauru, things going as they are. Um, now, all of that's been happening quietly and cautiously so as not to tip off any of the wrong people. So ACL hasn't talked about it much because it's always needed to be under the radar. The government hasn't talked about it not, uh, much. But now they're getting attacked for doing all the wrong things. When, when they haven't actually been doing all the wrong things, they've been quietly trying to resolve the situation without being unwise. Uh, and now we see this little snag. And I think Christians need to be fully informed of exactly what's going on over there. Okay, and of course you've got the Home Affairs Minister, Peter Dutton, who says the refusal just shows that those refugees are really economic refugees, not truly desperate for a new home, and good to make sense from a Christian perspective on just how you might look at the, those sorts of issues. Let's talk through some more. Running out of time here, Martin, US midterm elections later this week. There's been a development in uh, the case of this couple of women uh, who were accusers of the Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh and, uh, you know, timely and uh, with the uh, the midterm elections uh, later this week. But uh, this is quite significant uh, that there's been a, a a bit of a revelation here about one of the women in particular. 
Yeah, this is really tragic, actually. I mean, a lot of people will uh, know of the incredible controversy around the appointment of Justice Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court and how that all these scores of women came forward and, and, um, uh, and, and one in particular who testified against him at length uh, for all sorts of rape and, uh, and sexual assaults and all this kind of thing. Um, and one of the women who was involved in the whole scandal has come out and admitted that she's never met Justice Kavanaugh uh, and that she wasn't telling the truth. Uh, an anonymous letter appeared um, on the desk of a, or in the mailbox of a California senator uh, from somebody who described um, Justice Kavanaugh and his friend raping her after a party. Uh, and then a woman came forward and said that she was the person in the letter uh, and that she was, you know, and, and, and that really fueled the publicity around this. And she's admitted that that's the only reason she said it just uh, just recently, that she was angry uh, and she wanted it to get publicity. And so she put herself in the picture and lied. Um, you know, it's it's really, really concerning and almost confirms the worst fears uh, that so many of us had. And the danger here is we're moving into a world of identity politics where, you know, somebody from a victim class, a woman, can make an allegation against someone from an oppressor class, like a man, and, and that's enough. Uh, it's believed. Truth goes out the window. Virtue goes... Everything goes out the window. It's just about these, these groups warring for power. And unfortunately, that's the kind of politics that we're seeing more and more in the West. Uh, it's just power grabs. Truth is dead. Um, virtue is dead. Everyone's out for each other, and it's classes against men versus women and, and gay versus straight and black versus white. It really, really concerns me the way this is going. Um, and, you know, it will, it will bring down so much of what we value in society if it continues. And it draws us into another issue. And uh, in my introduction to today's 2020, I mentioned that we'd be talking through some transgender issues. We'll have a special guest, uh, Patrick J. Byrne, in a few minutes' time. Uh, draws us into this idea of what's going on uh, with these minority groups, the identity politics here, because Australian Christian schools and religious freedom issues are all very much in the spotlight. Uh, Martin, you follow these things very carefully. There is a, a rocky road ahead here. Look, this is really difficult. I mean, many people will know that in the last week there's been news reports about apparently the Ruddock Review saying that Christian schools should be able to expel kids because of their sexual identity, because they're gay. Um, and that was not true. It's a really important point to make. Ruddock doesn't say that at all. Uh, that was a fabricated piece of information published in the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, which is a pretty major newspaper, which then started a huge argument about how dare Christian schools expel kids for being gay. Now, I've spoken to the leaders of all the Christian school movements, um, and they all say they know no such practice. Nobody does that. Um, nobody is expelled simply because uh, of their sexual orientation. Uh, but there's been this huge push on to change the Sex Discrimination Act to remove an important section there that does seem to give schools this right. But see, if that section goes away, then schools will lose religious freedom because whilst they don't want to expel someone just because they're gay, they will want to uh, make sure that the students in their school community uphold the values of the school. So if a child were to, or if a, a kid in, say, year 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, was to openly flaunt issues of sexuality or try and cause trouble. You know, I remember when I was at school, there was a guy who wanted to cause trouble 
and he brought his same-sex partner to the school formal and he got activist stuff going on on campus and he really got under the noses of everyone and it just it just caused major, major issues and disharmony in the school community. Now, the school may actually take action against that person and say, look, I'm sorry, you, you can't continue here. And that person could turn around and say, you just did that because I was gay. And it wasn't just because they were gay. It was because they were breaking the rules of the school about their biblical sexual ethic. It would be the same for somebody who was on campus at school who was flouting other sexual practices that were wrong, uh, whether they or if they were known to be in a sexual relationship with another student or something like this. They would be asked, potentially asked to move on. Schools need that right. Political parties have that right. It's called freedom of association to pick and choose who your members are to pick and choose who your student body is, your staff, based on their lifestyles and how they live and the values that they uphold. Now, this amendment that's proposed will seriously undermine the ability of schools to continue to do that. So the concern I have is that we're losing religious freedom before the Braddock Review is even properly responded to. Um, We're really on the back foot, and it all started with a lie uh, in the mainstream media that schools were doing this, and they're not. It's far more complicated than that. Um, And, uh, you know, we're making serious representations to the parliament. It may be that there's a campaign to be run on this, um, but uh, just so people know, the reports on that haven't been true. Um, And uh, and, uh, what is being done here is an attack on the freedom of association of schools around the country which are faith-based. So it's very serious. Well, Martin, uh, thank you so much for drawing to our attention some of the untruths that have been not only just reported in the media, but, of course, uh, all of the commentary that goes on around politics has picked up those things and uh, run with it and uh, has dominated the headlines now for weeks. But uh, certainly appreciate your insights today. Let me point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au, and uh, it's a good resource to keep up to date with some of the developments that are going on when it comes to uh, political issues and these social moral issues uh, that we all have strong views on as Christian believers. Martin Isles, thanks so much for joining us once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Always a pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.